Let's take a moment in prayer. Merciful God and gracious God, we do thank you for the cross. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to work on us, through us, both comforting us, uplifting us, all through your love, all through your grace, all through your mercy, all through your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started this journey, a journey about forgiveness. And uh, we were, we've been taking a look what it means to have a living faith. To have a living faith is to live in accordance with the character and nature of God forgives. With the character and nature of God who forgives. Now, as I mentioned, this is a challenging topic. Part of it, what makes it so challenging is because of the nature of God and how he forgives is so much greater than our nature and how we think about forgiving. When God forgives, he forgives completely. He takes away all the guilt, all the punishment completely. There is no more offense. But you and I are much more begrudging in our forgiveness I mean, I don't know about you, if you had any siblings when you were growing up, did your parents ever make you come together and make you forgive one another? You had that? Okay, come here, now apologize, and now you apologize. And so you were like kids, you went, I'm sorry. You know, and then you went to your room and you probably plotted revenge. I mean, that's kind of like a microcosm of our own self and how we've grown up as adults. We're just a little bit more sophisticated. We have a little bit more veneer. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, that's the gulf. That's the gap. Why is that so hard? Why is forgiving and being forgiven so hard? And the answer is this, forgiving someone is costly. Forgiving someone is costly. We would rather not pay the price of forgiving someone. See, we, we want to rationalize, by the way, we want to rationalize the wrong that we have done isn't so bad but the wrong they have done is horrific and can never be forgiven. So I don't need to be forgiven, and I can never forgive another. See, the price, the cost that we would have to pay of forgiving or asking forgiveness is our ego, our pride, our selfishness, that we we ourselves might be wrong. But as we talked about last week, unforgiveness is really at the heart of a broken relationship, isn't it? And when there is unforgiveness, the relationship becomes so broken that and sometimes, sometimes it looks like it can never be healed or restored. The thing about forgiveness is that true forgiveness requires a sacrifice. There's a cost 
to forgiveness. And so we're going to take a look at that cost today. And just as last week, we took the Old Testament and bridged it to the New Testament. We are going to do the same here as well. Because we were going to see that forgiveness requires a sacrifice throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New. And so today we are going to bridge from Leviticus all the way to Matthew. Now, if you want to sum up in one word what Leviticus is all about, it is this. It is holiness. It is about the holiness of God. And we've talked about the holiness of God in a number of times, a number of ways to talk about how holy he is. Remember, in the book of Revelation, it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is how holy he is. And yet we have sinned against him. So the question, one of the questions being answered is, If God is so holy and we are so sinful, how can our sins ever be forgiven? That's the question. If God is so holy and we are so sinful, how can our sins ever be forgiven? And how you answer this question is so important that if you get it wrong, you probably get everything wrong. So we are going to do our study here. God's word about the cost of forgiveness, Leviticus all the way to Matthew. We're going to start first with atonement of sin. And just like last week, I had to do some context setting before we even get to the text. I have to do the same here. So last week we talked about Moses and Joshua, right? They went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. The covenant God made with his people, wrote on the tablets with his finger, the Ten Commandments. But remember, what did the people do? Forty days, they went up, and in 40 days, they built what? A golden calf, and they worshiped a golden calf, which breaks which commandment? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And so odious is worshiping a false god that in other places, God calls this whoring after false gods. That talks about the depth, the depravity, the sin that occurs when we as his people worship false gods. It creates a gap so wide and deep, it breaks the relationship completely. And how can you make that right with God? A God who is perfectly holy, perfect righteous, perfect justice, how could I ever make that up to God? How could ever I do something to right the wrong? And that's how we think about it, by the way, in the human terms. How can we be right with God? How can we make it up so in a way? What can I do to make it right? Now, here's how our mind works. And I'm just going to give you a little example of how our mind works. In days gone by, I don't know if it still holds today, but in days gone by, when the husband had done a wrong to the wife, what did the husband do? buy flowers. There's a comedian, Christian comedian, really good. His name's Henry Cho. Uh, and he grew up in Tennessee in the south, south area. 
He says, if you ever want to find the husbands who are in the doghouse, just go late at night to the grocery store by the refrigerated flower section. Now, in his routine, he talks about husbands gathering around there, and, and one, one guy says, I don't know what to get her. The guy says, don't worry, they gave us a list. Okay, for every offense, there's a certain type of flower. The bigger the offense, the more flowers you got to buy. And the guy said, well, what did you do? He said, I chipped her gravy boat. Ooh. See, jewelry chart. So the greater the offense, the greater the payment. But you get this, right? Making an atonement. Now, ladies, I got to ask you, you don't have to answer, but did flowers ever actually make up for the wrong? Not really, right? It actually doesn't truly make up for the wrong. What does it show? It shows that there is at least a repentant heart present. And then you, out of your grace and mercy, forgive the wrong or forgive the sin. Now, I'm going to use this example to kind of springboard into what God instituted for the Israelites. He instituted a sacrificial system for the Israelites. They had done a wrong greater than flowers could ever do. And yet in his mercy, he gave them something that would help them understand what they had done against a perfect, holy God. And so there was a sacrifice made for atonement. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is offering up of something precious. The word is precious. Precious for a cause or reason. And what is an atonement? It is satisfying someone for an offense committed. So a sacrificial atonement of giving up something that is precious for the wrong done against a person. In this case, against God himself. The sacrificial system was a way for the Israelites to understand that their sin against God was so great that an atonement must be made. A sacrifice must be made. Now, often these sacrifices were uh, grain offerings, but more often than not, they were the sacrifice of an animal, a spilling of blood. And you and I know how important blood is, right? As a father... If your kid comes to you when they're small and says, I hurt myself, the father says, are you bleeding? No, you're fine. But if there's blood gushing out, you know that there's a serious thing happening here, and too much of a loss of blood is a loss of life. There was a story of a mother who uh, found out that her son had, high school son, had been in a car accident that morning and had died. And when they came to the scene of the accident, his blood was on the pavement. And she talked about how she just wanted to take that blood and somehow put it back in him because she knew that was his life. The blood was life. So in this case, we know that life comes from God. And so he helped the Israelites understand that the blood is the life which comes from me. The sacrifice was a reminder that our sin before God is so great that only blood itself 
the giving of a life can atone for the sin. This is the context. So you have to understand this before you even get to the reading. Now I'm going to read parts of our reading from Leviticus, not the whole thing. But I want you to listen for three words, blood, atonement, and sin. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Do you hear all that? Sin, blood, atonement, the sacrificial system. If you really want to sum up the importance of the whole sacrificial system, it is found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. This is the sacrificial system. In other words, God has said, I have given it to you, the creature's life, which is its blood, to make an atonement for yourself, which covers the offense you have committed against me. A way to think about this is this. Those who are covered by the blood sacrifice are forgiven their sins. Hebrews in the New Testament says this. It says, without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sin. You see, a holy God can't simply brush away sin. Like, just like, eh, no big deal. A holy God, a righteous God, a just God must deal with sin. If he simply overlooks it as if it did not matter, he is neither holy or righteous or just. So he must do something because there is a cost to sin. And just as there is a cost to sin, he shows the Israelites that there is a cost for the forgiveness of sin as well. So holy and perfect and righteous is he that only a sacrifice points to the forgiveness of sin. So what would happen on the day of Yom Kippur, the high priest, this was Aaron, the high priest, 
would go into the tent of meeting. Yom, by the way, Y-O-M means day. Kippur means atonement. So it is the day of atonement. And by the way, this is the high holy day in the Jewish calendar. There is no other day more holy than the day of atonement. And so the priest, the high priest, would go into the holy of holies. So the holy of holies. Think of that as the throne room of God here on earth for the Israelites. And what was in the holy of holies? Do you remember? The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And the Ark of the Covenant held three things. What did it hold? Ten commandments it held. It held, held the bread, held the manna, and Aaron's staff. So in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, do you remember what that was called? It's the mercy seat. So on the cover, and you have to think about this, the cover that held all of God's commandments and his miracles regarding that, right? Was a mercy seat because we had broken everything that God had given us, and yet that was still covered by his mercy. So on that high holy day, Yom Kippur, the high priest would come in to the holy of holies, the sacred place and offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for himself and for all of Israel. And he would do that by the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat. In essence, the mercy seat with the blood covered all the sins of Israel. This is what happened. This is what people knew. You see, they knew that atonement was necessary for the sins because they had sinned against a holy, righteous, and just God. And it was not a little thing, but an atonement must be made, and it must be made in blood. And they also know then that God's merciful nature, which we talked about all last week, God's grace, his mercy, his steadfast love, his merciful nature is the basis for atonement, that atonement is even possible. God's covenantal love, his reluctance to punish the sinners, and the readiness to forgive sin, that's all what took place on that high holy day. At the same time, what God put in place was but a foreshadow of what was to come, because Day after day, week after week, year after year, sacrifices still had to be made. Because it was a sacrifice of an animal for the sin against God, but really it was man who sinned against God. And to actually offer a perfect sacrifice would have required a man's perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice to atone for the sin against God. But God in his mercy held off. All right? That's what happened in the Old Testament. You can see that forgiveness is central in the Old Testament. And now we're going to bridge to the New Testament. We're going to go to the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. 
Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again, of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what happened during the Last Supper? Jesus gave a new covenant, right? He said, this is a covenant. Remember what is a covenant? It is a sacred promise. Now, is this covenant conditional or unconditional? We talked about that last week. Conditional says, if you do this, I will do this. Did Jesus talk to his disciples and said, hey, do you have any amendments for what I'm going to say right now here? Do you have any things you'd like to add? No, he didn't say any of that, nor did he put an if in there. He said, this is the covenant in my blood. So he instituted a new covenant. And by instituting a new covenant, he then declared the old one. When he went to the cross, the old one was complete and done. And the new covenant was given to us with a sacrifice that paid the price. The words are as clear as can be. This is my body given for you. This is my blood of the covenant. We see this very clearly, that Jesus gave his own life, the shedding of his blood to make an atonement for sin. It was his real body, his real blood. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, man, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, gave himself for us as a perfect atonement for our sin. And don't let anybody ever tell you that the cost of forgiveness was minor, that God could have said, hey, whatever. The cost was as great as it could be. For God himself, we talked about how God would have to stoop down. We talked about that last week. Christ stooped as low as can be. Taking the form of a slave, he was crucified for us. That is the cost of forgiveness. And it was a sacrifice that paid the full price. Do you remember on the cross before he died, what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. I've used this word before. As a matter of fact, it's, it's to telestai. In Greek, it means it is paid in full. Apparently, I've used this word enough that someone was so wonderful to me, they gave me a T-shirt that says to telestai on it. It's one of my favorite words. It means it is finished. It is paid in full. The debt has been paid now and forever. Now and forever. And the debt paid, it was an atonement for forgiveness of sin. This is the blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't sacrifice himself as simply an example for others of doing good. He literally sacrificed himself, was sacrificed for the sake of us, for forgiveness and atonement for sin. And his atonement for sin is an eternal redemption. Remember in the Old Testament, they sacrificed again and again and again. But for Christ Jesus, it was a one-time sacrifice that is eternal throughout all time. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Man, if you want to highlight something in the book of Hebrews in this verse, highlight once for all. It was once for all completed, and he entered into the holy of holies, right? The very throne of God on the mercy seat, his blood was sprinkled. We are covered by his blood, Though we have broken the covenants, he made a new covenant, and we are covered by his blood, by the mercy of God. But this is not just something that happened a long time ago, in which there was forgiveness a long time ago, or that a future time there, that there will be forgiveness. The forgiveness is a present reality. In Christ Jesus, we have a present reality of forgiveness. Not from long ago, not I hope so in the future, but here and now. See, that question is, what can I do to make it right? What can I do to make it right before God? What flowers can I buy? What endless treadmill of good works can I do? And the answer is nothing. Nothing you can do can make it right. God, in his mercy, has given us his son who shed his blood. And he made the atonement. And what we can do, and the only thing we can do, is to receive that as a gift to receive the precious gift and knowing that we are forgiven. That we should look to the cross, not to our feelings, because our feelings are just going to go one way or the other, but look to the cross to know that you are forgiven, that the price has been paid. When you look at the cross, you should see the grace of God and the forgiveness of God here and now and unto eternity. This grace is a free gift given to you. You can't earn it. You can't do anything else but receive it as a free gift. But yet, people don't receive it as a free gift because I think the cost for them is too high. Well, what would be the cost? Well, the cost might be that you'd have to give up the idea that you don't need to be forgiven, that you're good to go as is. The cost might be for someone to say, well, you know what? I'm a pretty good person, and I've done mostly good things, 
but you know, there's a couple things I need to make up to be in the right uh, relationship with God. And so it's this endless treadmill. And you're always afraid that maybe you have never done enough. You'd have to give up that idea. You'd have to give up the idea that you can't be forgiven. That something in your life has been so bad and so horrific that you can never be forgiven. You'd have to give up all of just what I said and actually receive God's grace as grace, as a gift to know that you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Here and now. Not just in the future, not just I hope so, but here, now, you're forgiven. Completely. And this is hard for us to hold on to, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm in there. I'm in there, what I was just talking about. And it's hard to hold on to, so each week... We need to be reminded by his word that we are forgiven. Each week we have the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is done in remembrance of him. But remember, we talked about remembering. How many times can I say remember there, right? We said remembrance isn't just something that happened in the past, but it is to have a present effect in the here and now. So when we receive the Lord's Supper, we receive his forgiveness here and now. Because in the Lord's Supper, forgiveness is declared. It's declared. And wherever forgiveness is declared, there is life and there is salvation. And we have all of that because the nature of God is one who forgives. There's a cost. There's a cost to sin. And God paid the cost for forgiveness. So for you this morning, I want you to continue meditating on this. To have a living faith is to live in accordance with the character and nature of God who forgives. Have you received the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus? And maybe there are areas of your life that you really haven't quite surrendered to full grace. You really don't trust that full grace. But you should trust his word and not your feeling. And the question is this, who in your life needs to hear about the forgiveness of God? Who in your life? It's been interesting. I've had a number of conversations the past month or two and people coming who need to hear about forgiveness. I bet there are people right on your block who just need to hear about forgiveness. The grace of God in Christ Jesus. And to that, everyone says, Amen. Amen. 